Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Today's episode is sponsored by Geeklery. Geeklery is a curated collection of artisan-made jewelry and goods inspired by our favorite fandoms and things in pop culture. My personal favorite thing about Geeklery is that they have so many one-of-a-kind or limited edition products that their collection changes all the time. They also donate 5% of their sales to Pop Culture Classroom, which is working to inspire a love of learning, increase literacy, celebrate diversity, and build community through the tools of pop culture. If you want to check them out, go to geeklery.com and follow them all over the internet at Geeklery. Hey, welcome to the Sartorial Geek Podcast. I'm Jordan Denae, and I am beyond excited to be here with Leslie Headland right now. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. So in case anyone doesn't recognize you by name, you are an Emmy-nominated writer, producer, and director working on such things as Russian Doll and the upcoming Star Wars series, The Accolade, which is so cool. <laughs> and that's not even all your projects. Those are just like two big ones. <laughs> exactly. By the way, you're only as good as your last project, so you might as well leave everything else out, to be honest. (laughs) Well, you have a very long list of incredible things, which is so cool. But let's talk about, I mean, if you don't mind, let's just talk about Star Wars and what it is like being in the writer's room of Star Wars, because I feel like that's such an incredible, such an incredible thing that very few people get to do. Well, first, I want to give a shout out to your merch line, first of all, because (laughs) I've been following it for a while. And I absolutely love it. I think it's one of those things that, you know, I don't think that what people call nerddom is necessarily gendered. But I have noticed that sometimes there are certain things that I assume only I think it are cool and interesting or quote nerdy or, you know, whatever that might be. And one of the things that I love about your line is that I've always seen you feature quotes or characters or mottos or references or whatever that are just right up my alley. And I'm kind of like, wow, I thought I was the only one that thought that was like a cool line or like, it's very inclusive in a way that I hope that my work is in working on such a large property. You know, like I think that there's kind of something to be said about recognizing yourself and the stuff that you find fun and interesting when you see other people also embracing it, there's like kind of an automatic sense of camaraderie and community. So I am blushing so much right now. I was not expecting to start this way. Thank you so much. That's so kind. And that is literally the I mean, that's the entire heart of it is finding those things, those special moments that don't get enough recognition sometimes. So well, I'm a genuine fan. So it's really, thank you. Really an honor to be on your podcast. Oh my God. Well, first of all, Star Wars was, I had a kind of interesting experience with Star Wars in terms of being a fan. You know, of course, when I was younger, absolutely obsessed with it. Like the special editions came out right at the time when I was hitting like freshman, sophomore year of high school. So Actually, I kind of got reinvested in Star Wars at a time where my family was moving states and I was kind of leaving all of my friends behind and having to make new friends and like, you know, getting back into Star Wars and getting to see them in the theater, you know, all that stuff was like so, so inspiring to me and then followed quickly by Phantom Menace. And I actually have come to really love the prequels in a lot of ways. Like I do think that the prequels 
at the time, I didn't really care for them because they kind of felt like they weren't really for me. At that point, I was in college and kind of like studying, waiting for Godot and like, you know right. I mean? They're a little different vibe, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was going through yeah. like my existentialism phase. So like, you know, I went to go see all of them, but I didn't really feel the same connection. Although now I really look back on them as very groundbreaking in terms of modern filmmaking. Like I like to joke that the reason my first film, Bachelorette, got made is because of The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, because George Lucas essentially forced all of the movie theaters to go digital, to start digital projection. So, you know, a lot of indie filmmakers who then could start shooting on digital, myself included, who were given, you know, kind of these decent budgets to make films. And now it's kind of the norm, you know, unless you're Christopher Nolan. (laughs) Right. But they were kind of, you know, I also think that their structure, while they were not like a monomyth, like uh, the original trilogy, I feel like what's interesting about their structure is that they're structured much more like video games, like, which I think is why people People criticize them a lot initially. It was like cutscene, boss, you know, like cutscene, like action sequence. Like, and actually, I think Marvel films kind of follow this same concept. I mean, they add definitely like those hero origins to it, but a lot of those kind of big blockbusters, big world building blockbusters that you go to see, they're essentially kind of structured the same way. They're not structured like three act plays, which is where, you know, obviously we all came from initially. I kind of fell out of Star Wars a little bit in my, you know, 20, like late 20s, early 30s. And it was with the rise of YouTube that I actually got back into Star Wars. Wow. I started like really getting into video essays and critiques of Star Wars, you know, of course, Red Letter Media and Mr. Plinkett and like all of those things. Like I just thought because I'm somebody that loves film criticism, I started to get really sucked into film critics that were essentially armchair critics. And I know they kind of get a bad rap, but like I actually was somebody that really responded to it because it felt like, I don't know, I felt like the print critics I just didn't necessarily connect with as much as I did like these kind of big deep dives, you know? And most of the time people were deep diving about big intellectual properties like Star Wars. And so that's when I discovered like Clone Wars and I started getting into like a little bit more of the ancillary materials and all of that and sort of rediscovered all of it. So that by the time I was a working creative and I got an opportunity to pitch on it, I felt really immersed in it, but I also felt immersed in it, not just as a fan, like definitely as a fan, but also immersed in it from like a cultural perspective, not just like, oh, I love Star Wars and everything about it and et cetera, et cetera, which I do. But I also felt like I had the experience of falling in love with Star Wars again from a more critical perspective. So anyway, that's kind of been my journey with it. I don't think that was the question you asked. Oh, no, that's perfect, though. And that's something that's so cool about a property that's been around for so long. Like it has been around long enough that you can enjoy it as a child and then like grow up with it as you're studying film and stories and then work in it, which is incredible. I always kind of like joke that Star Wars is a religion. I mean, and it's kind of not really a joke because it is is the kind of thing that like you are always going to discover new things about it. Yes, it's an intellectual property, but it's also, you know, it's got a lot of, you know, philosophical tones to it. And it's got obviously an enormous amount of, you know, cinematic imagery in it. 
and specifically cinematic imagery that is meant to elicit intense emotional responses. You know, like George Lucas coming from his background, he was much more into like what you would call like a visual tone poem than like a story. I mean, definitely he's very good at three-act structure and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you can see how, especially with the first film in 1977, that a lot of it is about just what am I looking at? You know what I mean? Like, what are the images that I'm seeing and how are they making me feel? And that's something I always felt like is my North Star with working on this project is that I'm actually always working on it visually. Like, even though we're in the writing process right now, I'm still always thinking about how to construct the world visually. And when I'm working on a scene, I'm thinking about it visually. And I have a graphic designer that I work with, who's actually also my sister. Her name is Inga Bregi. That's so cool. She creates lookbooks for me usually. So like for Russian Dolls, she created a presentation for Netflix, but she also created a lookbook for me to share with the department heads, like the cinematographer and the production designer and, you know, all of those people so that it would have this kind of, you want something to have like a cohesive artistic thread to it, I guess is maybe the word to use. And so when we're working on Star Wars, we're, she's actually working with me like in tandem as I'm breaking the story. I'm so not allowed to talk about anything, but no details. <laughs> you know, insert character here, you know, like, and I kind of discuss with her like what I think the references are and she will bring me like an enormous amount of not just image pulling, but actually kind of curate all of it to say like, is this what you're talking about? Is this what you want this person to look like or this creature to look like? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Or, you know, I'll say uh, some of this and some of that. And so, you know, while it is, of course, a conventional writer's room and we're writing episodes and breaking story and all of those things, it's also a world that you have to create visually. Like you can't not be thinking about that when you're working on Star Wars. I think it's impossible to not think about that. Working on something that's such an important property to so many fans, it is lovely to know that the people behind the scenes are actually thinking about Star Wars the way the fans think about Star Wars. Like, I feel like that's so cool that while you are making new content, like what the property is, is in the back of your mind. That's, that's so great. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I do think that I come at things that way, you know. I mean, I certainly, for example, Russian Doll was a show like that. And Natasha has been a star for many, many years, you know, like very, you know, deservedly so. But as a result, her story has been out there in the world, right? Like her own personal story has been out there in the world. And so when we got an opportunity to work together and to work on that show, part of it was exploring this kind of like meta narrative, not just of what was going on with Nadia Volvikov and like what she was experiencing, but also this other kind of level of like what it is like to be, you know, someone that is struggling with addiction in such a public way, you know, like, so you do want to always kind of think your piece is not just going to be consumed in a vacuum, you know, like it's going to be consumed in the midst of culture. And so when you cast a particular person or you reference a particular thing, it can mean different stuff at different times. I think that with Star Wars, it's that times a gajillion. I mean, you know, it would be like making a movie about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Right. Telling that story is going to tell, like my Star Wars is going to say more about me than it's going to say about Star Wars, you know, like because Star Wars is like, it's too big. Like when people ask me my favorite Star Wars film, I'm like, oh, I don't have one. I think that sends people to the moon sort of. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, 
I want to live in Star Wars. I want to exist in Star Wars in perpetuity. I'm not interested in like debating the cinematic pros and cons of one particular version of it. No, no, no. I want to be in every Star Wars piece of media is something I am going to enjoy. And again, it's so much of it has to do with like Ralph McQuarrie, like Ben Burt, like the people that put together all of the different, oh my God, John Williams. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all of your senses are activated at the same time in a Star Wars piece. Not just, oh, okay, it was a story, bye. You are like strapped in and you are experiencing that for, you know, the duration of the piece. You're experiencing a whole different universe which I guess sounds kind of like, duh, of course. No, but that's special. Like not many worlds like get to be grown like this. Star Wars is so big, like you said, that, you know, we have films and they're all different from each other. And then we have books and comics and animated things and Disney Plus show. Like it is very cool that the Star Wars universe is so huge, but then you can kind of deep dive into different parts of stories and they all get to be fleshed out too. I can't, of course, talk about any of the actual like content of the show. But one thing that I do, I have said before in interviews, and I think is okay to say. <laughs> if not, just let me know. <laughs> I'm sure someone will come in and like, you know, it'll be like, you know, Men in Black or something. Right, right. Our memories will be erased or something like that. But one thing that I like to say is that I do kind of think of Star Wars as essentially a religion or, you know, a world that you're existing in. And I think my show is kind of like a a tent revival, or it's like a little offshoot. It's kind of like a, we're over here, we're worshiping Star Wars, you know, (laughs) we're kneeling at the altar of this particular thing. However, it's not going to be about all the same stuff that you've always been watching with this. Like we're going to take a little pocket and I'm not saying anything that hasn't been announced, which is that we're in a different part of the timeline than we've seen in live action before. So, you know, we're taking a look at something that's just very, that's very different. And I don't think it has to be for everybody. I think some people will really enjoy it and really get into it. And some people will be like, I have no idea what this is. Thank God there's 75,000 other Star Wars pieces of content that I can take a look at. Right. And I think that's the cool thing because not, you know, there is a part of creating where you want everyone to like it or everyone to find something that they love. Of course. Yeah, but it is cool that you can be like, we're going to do something a little specific and like every single human being on the planet, like if this isn't for them, that's okay. (laughs) There's other Star Wars for them. I will also say that from personal experience, I'm not sure it's something you can control as an artist because like, for example, like if you had told me that Russian Doll would be as mainstream as it was before we started working on it, like I would have laughed in your face. Like, you know, I would make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would have been like, no, this will be for like indie film people and some sci-fi nerds and fans of Natasha and people that like, you know, these types of kind of gritty New York stories and like kind of confrontational, messy female characters. Like the concept that it would be mainstream is absolutely not something that ever entered my mind when working on the project. So I was absolutely shocked at the power of that story and the power of the reach that Netflix has. I was absolutely unprepared for that particular thing. So, you know, while I approach my stuff in this type of way that that we're discussing, where I'm like, listen, this is what I'm interested in. You guys can be interested in it or not. 
I always joke that I, I say this with my writers. I'm like, just assume the audience is interested and (laughs) like, don't spend time explaining things to them. Like obviously walk them through the stuff they need to know. But most of the stuff in Russian Doll, for example, that's set up in that first act is all stuff that's very subliminal. Like it's very small little stuff that you would only notice on a second viewing. Most of the time, you should just be able to enjoy it and consume it on a particular level where if you want to turn it off on episode two, you absolutely can. You're going to miss something really fun that's about to happen. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I did a a screening of like one of those test screenings of Bachelorette back in the day. And they were like, well, you know, nobody really likes these characters. And they were giving me notes on something. And I said, if people aren't interested in these characters by minute, you know, 20, they're never going to be interested in these characters. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's okay. Like we can just kind of let our audience be our audience. And I think sometimes you just get the surprise of like, oh, holy shit, this is like, this is really hitting. And I think when you have a large property, you're really helped by a large property like a Marvel or a Star Wars. Like, so you can see something like Thor Ragnarok or like Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, these are very kind of niche, strange, interesting takes on a world and like an experience and a a universe that kind of appeals to everyone. And in a way you can kind of invite them in and say, hey, are you interested in kind of this aspect of it? Like, is that something you'd be interested in? It's a little bit of like maybe left of center, but I don't think I've ever cried at a Marvel movie, but I cried at Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah. You kind of never know. You can only kind of immerse yourself in the world, build with the tools that you have. And, um, And, you know, something Filoni is always constantly kind of, not constantly, but, you know, has reminded me of a couple times, like when I get very nerdy about particular aspects of the lore and the stuff from Legends that I want to pull into my stuff, you know, he's always like, just remember, Leslie, like that A New Hope is about a kid from Modesto who didn't want to take over his dad's hardware store. He's like, all of this is good. He's like, it's great that, you know, you know, all this stuff and that you're incorporating it. He's like, but don't forget that that's really what that movie's about. And, um, or not really what it's about, but that's the soul behind that movie. So what's your soul and what are you going to say? And and what is it that you need to express? So it's really cool. I'm so excited to be able to watch your show. I know I would talk to you literally all day, but I know that you have to get back (laughs) to, you know, working on Star Wars. (laughs) I do have to get back to work, but I have time for one more question if you had a a burning question. (laughs) I was just wondering if there's been, like, I imagine that being in the writing room or just being on set of Star Wars is so amazing. And I know we can't talk about any like specifics, but I was wondering if you had any moments or stories that you were just like, I can't believe this is my real life that this just happened. You know what? I think I can share this story. And P.S. If not, Zoe can have it cut. So we actually weren't allowed to tell that story. So sorry, we're cutting a bit of the episode out. That's just how it goes sometimes. <laughs> well, that's a perfect ending. I hope we can keep it in. And if not, <laughs> sorry, everyone. I think it's, I'm sure it's fine. But, you know, I'll leave we'll it up to Zoe sure. and Brooke to be the bad guys. But I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me. Yeah, everyone, I'm sure will watch uh, The Accolade when it comes out. But is there anywhere that you want people to follow you to like, see your journey on the internet? Oh, sure. Yes, I'm mostly active on Instagram at very Leslie Headland 
is my handle. That's mostly where you're, you'll see me, although I'm 40. So, you know, I mean, that's cool. <laughs> it's the traffic there is low, you know, like, and, um, and I'm just Leslie Headland at, at Twitter. So at Leslie Headland on Twitter. So, um, you can also visit me there. I retweet a lot of things. And that's pretty much it. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. I can't wait to watch this show when it comes out and see all the other cool projects you get to work on. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. And get my info from Zoe because I will absolutely take you up on the offer about the merch because I love your stuff. I love love, love. (laughs) it. I can't stop blushing. Thank you. (laughs) It was so nice to meet you virtually. I hope we get to see each other in person someday. Me too. That would be so great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. If you want to hear more like this, you can subscribe to the Sartorial Geek Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help us out, you can leave us a rating or a review or head to patreon.com slash sartorialgeek. Thank you so much. Have a great day.